Welcome to Beyond Synth. Please note, Beyond Synth is an explicit program and may contain inappropriate language. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hey there, welcome to the show. This is Beyond Synth, episode 175. I hope everybody is having a lovely day. We are finishing off season six. That's right, only two more episodes. So, what was originally going to happen was next week would be the Christmas episode, and that would be the season finale, and then I would uh, go on a break for a few weeks. But thanks to your kind Patreon support, there will now be a bonus episode. So instead of going on holiday, and instead of the Christmas episode being the season finale this year, we will have a New Year's episode, and that's going to be the Beyond Synth family show with Marco Florence and Mike. So look forward to that. And that's the plan. And like I said, I know I teased before, I've got lots of changes coming to the show. Today, uh, we're going to be talking to Pattern Shift, who uh, turned out to be a really interesting guy. But first, we are going to listen to some music, and then... We are going to finish the Star Trek conversation with Florence. So, here is an awesome song by Brandon from the album Retro Chrome. Now, Brandon sent me a vinyl in the mail, and it's very good. So I'm glad he sent it to me, and I'm not going to throw it away. And this song is awesome. This is featuring SJ Bravo, and this is She's on Fire.
And that was She's on Fire by Brandon featuring S.J. Bravo. Now, Brandon here, which is his pseudonym, sent me a letter, and he stresses many times in this letter not to throw the vinyl away. (laughs) So I don't know what you guys think of me. You think I just receive things that people send me and just throw them in the garbage? (laughs) Hey, one of these days, if I'm ever one of them fucking rich assholes, I'll do that. In the meantime, I am not, and every time people send me gifts, I am very flattered, and I... I hope one day to have these all displayed. I'd like to build some sort of display shelf for the Beyond Synth set where I can put all the vinyls and stickers and posters and things that people have sent me. I think that would be really cool. Anyway, go check out Brandon. It's really good stuff. He says, enjoy the EP. Don't bin it. So I'm not going to bin it, buddy. All right. Anyways, we are going to chat with Florence. We are going to finish this Star Trek conversation off. So we still had a bunch more episodes that we watched. And that'll be it for Star Trek Talk. So I hope you guys enjoy that. And then afterwards, we're going to talk to Pattern Shift. Ooh, there's a siren outside. It's exciting in the city. Uh, what else? I should also remind you guys that Sarah Buchelman is the queen of the Pattersons. <laughs> just thought you should know. If you wonder what that means, if you're listening to the show and you're like, what the hell does that mean? People support the show on Patreon, and uh, Sarah is a patron, and she also sent a lovely Christmas gift to Beyond Synth, and uh, it's gifts like these that keep the lights on, which is incredibly important to do, because it's hard to see in the dark, unless you are a cat, and I am not a cat. Oh, and also... Last week I did play a cover, but I didn't say it was a cover. I think sometimes that confuses people. When I record this part of the show, which I refer to as the intro or the wraparound, sometimes I'm incredibly pressed for time and I rush and forget to do things. So just so we're clear, I played a track last week by Cold Beat, which is a great song. It's a Eurythmics cover. I didn't say that at the time. And then I think someone messaged me on Twitter or something. They're like, did you not realize that was a cover? I'm like, yeah, but it's like once I record the intro and I put the episode out, I'm not going to go back into the episode and add more stuff because I need to go on and uh, start working on the next week's episode. So there you go, guys. Please keep pointing out my mistakes. I love it. And now let's go chat with Florence. Hmm, that was odd. Anyways, uh, look, I'm here with Florence right now. So I guess we're just going to continue right where we left off and just go down the list. Well, what's the next episode you watched, Andy? Well, the next one I watched, you didn't tell me to watch, but this was the one that just had the stupidest Netflix picture. Oh. And so I was like, well, I got to watch this. So this was Data Makes a Child. Oh, yeah. And it's like (laughs) naked gold form. It just had the stupidest face. Like, it was the dumbest looking thing. But the picture on Netflix was there's a part where he makes the robot and he um, uh, gives it different forms. He gives it the choice to choose what gender 
gender it wants and the choice of what it wants to wear. Yeah, and one of them, and this was the Netflix picture, was this green Martian thing that looks like the Great Gazoo from like those old cartoons with <laughs> this green Martian with like fucking antenna. That was the Netflix picture and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, I mean, I gotta, I gotta click on this. Well, how far did you watch? Because it gets it gets pretty deep at the end of it. The, the acting of the droid girl, it didn't win me over. Like, you know, the, okay, father, I will shut down. Like, was that? Like, she was acting like that? Yeah. And then Data... I mean, I like the idea that it's an emotional episode between two characters that don't show emotion. So, like, when Data's shutting her off, like, he's not sad about it. And then she says she has emotion, but she's not really crying about it either. It's just like, okay, father, I understand, you know. I get it. I get the point. Like, I, I skimmed through it, and I was like, oh, I get the point of this one. I got it. Yeah. But I just needed to watch it because that stupid still image was, like, so <laughs> dumb that, like, I'm just like, I have to watch this. Like, I, I have to. Well, I'm glad glad you watched it. Anyway, he had a little girl, and then her brain had to shut off for some reason. Was it because of the emotion? Was that it? The emotion was affecting the logic circuits? Yeah, I guess. Okay. Sure. The episode you told me to watch next mm-hmm. was the next episode called Sins of the Father, starring Tony Todd, who I recognized even in fucking Klingon makeup. Oh, I don't know who that is. He's the candy is man. That? What? <laughs> <laughs> Tony Todd. Tony Todd, man, he's like he's a staple of like horror films. Oh, okay. uh, he's in the the Night of the Living Dead remake. Mm. Uh, he plays the main dude, but in that remake, they sort of made the girl the main lead. Anyway, Tony Todd, he's in some seasons of Twenty Four. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He's like a recognizable dude. I think uh, horror film fans like he must do more than just the Candyman because I know that people talk about him usually in terms of horror movies. What the hell, Tony Todd, Candyman? It was a horror film where if you said Candyman three times in the mirror, he comes and kills you. Oh, he plays uh, Worf's brother. brother yeah. Oh, uh, okay, I got it. Actually, you know what? We'll talk about Sins of the Father after we listen to a song. How about that? Okay. So, this is a cool track. This is brought to you by my lovely Patreon supporter, Chris Dance. Chris Dance is a cool guy. He kicked up his donation to 88 miles per hour. And I appreciate his support. And here is a cool track by Vosto. I spoke to him on the call-in show I did last month. He was an interesting dude from Transylvania. And uh, this track is called Arpeggion Crystals by Vosto.
And that was Vasto with the track Arpeggion Crystals, brought to you by my lovely Patreon supporter, Jacob Wick, with the 4488. Jacob Wick is a really cool guy who sent me some Lego. And I uh, I appreciated it, man. I can't wait to assemble some of this stuff. And I'm back with Florence, and we're continuing our Star Trek conversation. We watched a bunch of The Next Generation, and we're sort of reviewing shows. And what I noticed about the episodes that you made me watch is that a lot of them had, like, trials in them. Yeah, I didn't actually mean to uh, <laughs> make that these, happen. There's a lot of episodes of Star Trek that take place in these small rooms where Picard has to <laughs> yeah, fucking was, represent somebody. Well, I didn't, I didn't tell you to watch... Uh, the first one? One. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. But yeah, and I guess like, well, chain of command isn't really a trial, but But there is a bunch of stuff with like interrogations and and uh and trial. Anyway, so at first you know, he's there and, and Tony Todd's like acting like a prick. And so when the first episode first started, I'm like, eh, he's Worf's brother. But th- that wasn't a huge twist because they reveal that like 10 minutes in. Yeah. So it wasn't really a twist, but I thought I was being clever by guessing early. And then uh, Worf gets called home because he's asked to answer for the crimes of his uh, his dead father. Mm-hmm. And then we get another trial. Yep. And then it turns out that his dad is innocent, but it's Duras's father. Yeah. And that dude was a prick. Like, I love... Yeah. First, I love how, like, just inhospitable the Klingon homeworld is. Oh, yeah. It's all just, like, fucking like, <laughs> garbage bins with fire coming out like the hobos <laughs> use. I'm just thinking the whole time, like, I understand the Federation. There's certain races that aren't super keen on it, but they're still part of it and stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, wouldn't killing Picard be, like, a serious diplomatic issue? Throughout this episode, there's all these times they're, like, they're going to kill Picard. And it's like, like, why is no one acknowledging that that's a big deal? Yeah. To, like, be like, oh, let's just stab him in the street that's gonna be a problem right i mean like wouldn't that be like a, an act of war like to just like well, hey we stabbed that we, captain in the back while he was visiting Klingons love love their war so maybe they don't even care but yeah, i mean maybe that's probably why he's still alive ideally because they don't try that hard to kill him he's able to evade a lot of murder attempts throughout the series yeah it was an interesting thing because so this was an episode where of the ones you told me to watch actually this one i didn't care for too much and i think this one requires like i should have watched more old episodes it doesn't really i wanted you to watch a wharf slash klingon episode because a lot of people like them and i'm not a huge fan of the klingon wharf timeline that Mm. much there's a lot more that goes on after this but honestly there there isn't really that much backstory to this one so you didn't miss that okay i I mean i assume maybe i would i would mean more if i knew the characters better because i just felt like he's too proud and then the klingon race has this thing where you got to answer the crimes and and there was sort of a conspiracy Mm -hmm. and then it just sort of ends with they just kind of stand in a circle and turn their backs and do this little dance and then they walked out of the room and it was over and i was like is that it yeah like uh, okay yeah (laughs) like and i guess it's a big deal that Worf would accept being disgraced like maybe it would mean more if i knew the characters better yeah i sort of left that episode just being like i wouldn't have been satisfied to leave my brother there you know he's just like oh just don't hurt my brother and then i'm like okay how can i trust you fucking sneaky fuckers not to kill him even though you've just tried to knife him in a hallway like half an hour ago and then you send two other dudes to wait outside fucking grandma's house to murder fucking picard (laughs) like just to maintain some bizarre cover-up like yeah my brother's real safe here seriously like throughout that whole episode it's like the dude is clearly guilty and then like yeah we'll do a recess and then they'll fucking just pull on knife dudes in the hallway and then like it just seemed really clearly like oh well yeah i mean clearly you just keep 
trying to send dudes to fucking knife people. And then Picard's like, I'll go visit this old lady alone. Like, good job, buddy. Like, this dude just keeps sending two dudes with knives. And it's always the same thing. Just like, he's always just got two dudes on retainer to the fucking stab old people in the dark. So (laughs) I just, and so at the end, I just wouldn't have been like, well, enjoy maintaining this fucking wacky cover-up of yours. I'm sure my brother will be safe here. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know that if I was Worf, I'd be satisfied. I mean, I wouldn't want him on the ship either because he was a fucking asshole. Like, but he's still his brother. So you'd think he'd he'd want him safe. I don't know. I kind of agree. I, yeah, I'm not like a super huge fan of the warp episodes. There are better ones, but I mean, this one was kind of like the intro to that whole storyline. Yeah. I mean, I did skim through later a later episode just to see like, oh, they're using the same sets. Like I, I saw like a brief snippets of another Klingon one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Overall, like I think what I like about Worf is that of the episodes I've seen, his character is pretty consistent and it's it's a nice contrast to the other ones, right? So when they're always debating around the table, like what their next move should be. And Worf is always just like, we should blow them up. Like that's always like his thing. Like he always wants to attack of the, of the ones I've seen, mm-hmm. like that's his deal. Cause he's a Klingon. So he always wants, he likes the, that option. Mm-hmm. But then when there's rooms full of Klingons, they just kind of bug me. Yeah. So just a lot of people yelling at each other and they all have weird teeth. You know, oh, yeah, they're fucking teeth. Side note. So, um, the movie Undiscovered Country, which is the last movie that they did with the original series cast there's like a Klingon story in it and they're on I think I think it's probably Kronos the homeworld and there's a defense attorney named Worf played by Michael Dorn and it doesn't make any sense in the timeline at all and it's hilarious because it's like they're like oh cool we're gonna just get Michael Dorn to play Worf who's not really Worf in this movie, it doesn't make any sense. Why'd they do that? Is there a reason for that? Fan service, I'm sure. Because everyone's like, oh, we, we really like Worf, so let's put him in this movie. And it, may, it doesn't make any sense, but it's cool. He'll be in the movie. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, it's really fucking weird. So anyway, I watched the next one just because it had an annoying Netflix picture again. Which one was the next one? This is the one where Picard is trapped in the room with like three aliens. Oh, oh yeah, that one. And there's a wolf man and there's a lady with a line down her face and mm-hmm. I hated the way she looked. Yeah. Like, I just couldn't stand her makeup and the wolf man annoyed me too. His makeup looked really stupid mm-hmm. and it's like a little mystery in there, like who sent us here? And then it turns out they were being monitored by some other dumb looking alien race. Right. That was it. I just, it's just a stupid picture again. I think the picture had the wolf man in the frame. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, this episode's got a wolf man? Like, all right. <laughs> so, I fucking, yep. so I pressed play and it was stupid. Yeah. And that's it. There are a lot of those episodes. The next one I watched was one you didn't tell me to watch, but that I was told to watch. And we'll talk about that after we play a song. But it was an episode called Darmok. And we'll <laughs> uh, talk about it after we listen to this track. So this song is brought to you by my lovely Patreon supporters, Lucas Ceballos, with the 2666 Satan. And in the $25 Club, it's Clint Dowling and Tim Carlton. Here is a wicked song from Caspro from the album Cardasynth. I think I've played a track from this before, but it's a great album. And this track is called Voids and Valleys.
And that was Voids and Valleys by Caspro from the album Carta Synth, brought to you uh, by my lovely Patreon supporters Johnny Five, Emilio Astevez, and Action Jackson, uh, all in the $25 club. And we're back here with Florence. We're talking about Star Trek, and the next one I watched was uh, from Season 5, Episode 2, and it was called Darmok. It's a nice idea for an episode. But how that alien species accomplished anything, if that's the way they communicate, makes no sense. Yeah. That's what I took away from at the end. Like, it's an interesting idea. Like, hey, they kind of, they speak in weird historical metaphors and stuff. But it's like, how do you build a ship if you talk like that? Oh, yeah. No, there's no way they could have had that technology. Like, every time you fucking reach for a wrench, it's just like, the wood that drafted on the sea or whatever. You know, like, you know, you got to be able to just say things like, hand me the fucking torque wrench. Like, anyway. (laughs) This was funny because it featured, I think, the the leader guy, that alien race. What are they called? It's Tamarian. Is played by the actor who plays Lieutenant Traxler in the Terminator movie. Oh. And that's the only other thing I ever knew that guy from because when you watch the Terminator title sequence and then his name gets like, and Paul Winfield as Lieutenant Traxler. (laughs) And I I always loved that name, Lieutenant Traxler. Like, it's just such a fake sounding name. So he plays the main dude. And this is the one where uh, they just keep repeating those same sentences. So the dude like holds up the fucking the two knives and like Darmok and Jalad on the ocean Darmok and Jalad and like they just said that like so many times it's fucking Darmok and Jalad on the ocean when the walls fell what the hell was the other one Shaka Shaka when the walls fell yeah Okay. There's another one too. Darmok and Jalad. At Tanagra. At Tanagra. That's right. Yeah. Darmok and J- on the ocean was the other half of the story. What? It's like something. His eyes. His uncovered. eyes opened. No, his. His eyes open, and then his arms wide. Because they just said it so many times. Hemba, his arms wide. Yeah. <laughs> Shaka, when the walls fell. Shaka, you said that before. When I was trying to build a fire, is that a failure? An inability to do something? Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. I remember the words, but I don't understand. So this was one where I noticed too, well, like I was saying before about Worf, is like I love that no one ever, ever nobody ever wants to do Worf's plan first. <laughs> so every time Worf always says that I think we should shoot the torpedoes, and everyone always dismisses Worf's plan. Like that seems to that was a recurring theme I noticed in Star Trek. Every time Worf says a thing, it's just like no one ever wants to do his plan to blow stuff up. There was one part, man. This episode, Jordy LaForge had the most insane technical gibberish stuff to say. <laughs> Matrix levels. Annular convergence, 439.205. Confinement resolution, 0.527. It isn't going to do it. Increase thermal input coefficient to 150%. Leffler, shunt the overload to the phase transition sequencers in transporter one. Yes, sir. LaForge to O'Brien. Go ahead, Commander. Confirm phase sequencer linkage. Link confirmed. Ready whenever you are, sir. There's this documentary, it should be on Netflix, it's like the last episode of the last season, basically, mm-hmm. and it's hilarious because I watched it, I was like, oh, fuck it, I'll watch this, and it, Jonathan Frakes is the host, and he's super, like, animated, and, like, very, it's very 90s. Mm. They were talking to the script writers, and they said that, like, when they were writing the script, they would just leave a little thing in parentheses that said, tech when they wanted somebody to like say something techy and then they would bring in like another team of dudes to write out the tech jargon <laughs> well this so- one this one was like 
they gave Jordy a fucking mouthful of nonsense. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. Then they fight some weird electro-predator thing that uh, kills Lieutenant Traxler, mm-hmm. but then Picard learned how to communicate with them. So the whole point of the episode is, like, how do you communicate with a species that doesn't speak English, or it speaks English, but it doesn't... Uh, the way they communicate is so different. But then Picard figured it out, that they speak in weird metaphors and history quotes or something. I forget the nice way of saying that. His army with fists closed with fist closed an army with fist open to lure the enemy with fist closed to attack that's how you communicate isn't it by by citing example by metaphor Ozani's army with with fist open Sukhat his eyes uncovered And it just led me with more questions. Like, when it was over, I'm just like, wait a second. Like, what? Like, how the hell could this society accomplish anything? They would still have to know the story in order to understand the metaphors. Mm -hmm. So how do they tell the story? Did they tell the stories normally? Yeah, I I don't know. Right? Like, how do you tell the story of Darmok and Jalad if the only way you're told it is Darmok and Jalad on the ocean? Like, how do you... Exactly. And wouldn't they... I mean, since they are space worthy and they can travel to different planets clearly because they have spaceships and that technology wouldn't they kind of realize that yeah these people who we're meeting they don't know our stories right so we have to tell them our stories in order for them to understand it yeah but that's not the point of the episode the point of the episode is that Darmok and Jalad yeah fucking (laughs) Darmok and Jalad Tanagra. <laughs> Tanagra. And then and then Picard, like, at the end of the day, he just shows up on the ship and then just says those things to them. Yeah. And I was like, how does he know? Where where did he get all... And it, the thing is, it's like, he says those things, but he also says more. What is that word that you just said? How, did what's-his-butt have time to tell you all of this shit? Because I don't think so. He just died. Yeah. Also, um, he could have just repeated those things before. Like, it's... I mean, obviously, he had to go and have the experience. But, like, he learned so much about them because he understands five of their sentences and then just gets back on the ship and then says those same five sentences to that guy who's satisfied, I guess. And then they just sort of like, oh, good stuff. And then then they leave. (laughs) Well, how about this? Let's listen to another song, and then we'll talk about uh, Inner Light. Okay. So, here's a cool track uh, brought to you by my lovely Patreon supporters in the $25 Club, Chris Williams, Christian James, and Joey and Kendra. Hope you guys are having fun with your baby. And now, here is a cool track from Cassette Club. This is Don't Go.
Don't Go by Cassette Club. Brought to you by my lovely Patreon supporters in the $25 Club, Gregorio Franco and Mike Shima. I used Gregorio Franco the other day to test out my new headset. I got a cheap headset on Amazon so I can play Red Dead Redemption online, which is uh, neither here nor there. And we are back with Florence, and we are talking about Star Trek, the next generation... And uh, I guess now we should talk about Inner Light 
this one was the one that like everybody was like oh man just wait till you get to this one it's a tearjerker and blah 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 and like yeah okay it made me cry whatever but um <laughs> but it more more so it bothered the shit out of me because so what happens is Picard gets zapped by this probe he basically lives an entire lifetime within the span of 25 minutes where he has a wife and he has kids and he's like part of this society called fuck I forget what planet they're on it fucking blew my mind because he lives this entire life in 25 minutes and then he wakes up on the Enterprise and they're like oh like are you okay it's been 25 minutes and he's like holy shit like who the fuck am I like I'm here on the Enterprise Mm. didn't this happen like 50 years ago what the hell so it just blew my mind and it was almost really disturbing to me <laughs> this episode too i knew that people uh, really liked it mm-hmm. and maybe it's one of the early examples of this type of story but since i've also seen lots of science fiction with the premise of person ages a lifetime in a short amount of time mm-hmm. like i've seen this concept done in several shows also doctor who so this premise i've seen so that sort of undercut it a bit because i imagine like oh had i seen this show when it aired that would have been a pretty novel concept like the idea of aging a lifetime in you know 20 minutes or whatever mm-hmm. and then remembering that alternate lifetime yeah and i've seen it done in other shows that also milked it for emotional value right i mean i guess to me the concept was wasn't exactly new either but it just for some reason this one was just like fuck this is insane to me mm-hmm. the emotion was there and like ugh, fucking Picard has seen some shit yeah <laughs> he's been through a lot yeah so this was yeah Picard falls over this little probe thing shoots him and then he wakes up in a green sort of sleeveless shirt like a tie-dyed sleeveless shirt the dude from office space who creates the jump to conclusions Matt <laughs> he's like planting a tree in the garden that's how I know that guy he's like planting a tree and he's like Picard's best friend or whatever and then Picard's sort of stuck in like a dream land where he, he lives in a small town with this brunette lady. Every time they come back from commercial break, he's sort of aged five years or ten years or whatever. Yeah, his hair is a little longer. Yeah, and there's always a character walking around who has expositional dialogue to explain the time jump. Mm-hmm. So like whatever he's doing, it's like, well, you know, it has been a long five years since we did that thing five years ago. And like there's always someone there to do that. And then he tells his wife that he wants to have a baby uh, or she wants a baby or whatever so i guess he's been like just pulling out for five years like there's a lot of stuff that we have to sort of assume (laughs) what i found though with this episode it's like it's like it's a neat idea for a story and people are gonna get mad at me for this star trek fans i was too distracted by the old man makeup in this episode (laughs) like i'm sorry but they put picard in weird goblin makeup i couldn't get past it like i just the whole time i'm just looking at his stupid makeup and i'm like he looks like a goblin and then fucking john luke goblicon yeah man he was a goblicon (laughs) all right and there's that regional manager guy who at the end of the episode has old man makeup on and he looks insane like it's so distracting he did not look like an old man he looked like an alien (laughs) like a weird alien frog or something like it was just so he just looked too fucking weird. And then by the time at the end of the show, Picard looks like the fucking Billy Crystal's character in Princess Bride. Like, just <laughs> crazy goblin with, like, this weird hair, like, long gray hair. and His nose is a little more pointy, too. Yeah, man. So I, I just found it distracting. Like, um, and then Picard's got kids in the dream, and his son wants to be a professional flautist. <laughs> so that happened in the story. <laughs> I get it. Like, I get why people would like this show. I just couldn't get past the makeup man but i but i liked it like it was good but i did find the makeup distract but yeah no i was i went into it thinking that i was gonna really like it and i yeah i liked it too but i think i was just more disturbed 
when I watched it the first time. Yeah. Stuff like that makes me feel claustrophobic. Well, also, too, but that town was claustrophobic. That town was like That's true. two houses in a town square. He's stuck in this tiny little town. And the thing is, it's like he has no idea what's going on. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was interesting, but it was but, good. I liked it. Like, it was it was good. Mm-hmm. Um, you want us to do a song? Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Well, this song is brought to you uh, by my lovely Patreon supporters, Assy Dre with the 16 and in the $15 club, Hampus ML and Ken Giroux. This song is by CJ Burnett and it is called Race Through Time.
And that was Race Through Time by C.J. Burnett. Brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, Chatterack with the 1495. And Pattern Shift, we're going to hear from him later on in the show. Adam Force with the 1313. And we will never forget the immortal Chris Salaya Lane. And we are back with Florence. We're going to wrap up this Star Trek conversation. Yep, finally. The season is coming to a close, and people really wanted us to wrap up this Star Trek thing. Did they? (laughs) I don't know. I don't listen to the listeners. I was about to call them fans. I'm like, I don't think I'm allowed to call them fans. They're listeners. That's people who listen. But look, the last episode that I watched was a two-parter called Chain of Command. Mm -hmm. Tell me why you recommended that I watch Chain of Command. It's definitely one of the top-ranked episodes. If you look up next-gen episodes, for me, people always, they were like, hey, just wait till you get to the episode where they're there are four lights and I was like what okay this doesn't mean anything to me and it's yeah. funny because like when I started watching the inner light I like I was like oh this is gonna be the four light episode right but it wasn't no there was just one <laughs> it was just and it was inside one. of himself yeah <laughs> But finally, we got to Chain of Command, and I was like, oh, that's what everyone was talking about. Mm -hmm. So now you know about Four Lights and Naked Picard. That's (laughs) that's really all you need to know. So this blonde lady comes in, and then she just relieves Picard of being captain of the Enterprise. Then Picard and Crusher and Worf started running around a cave dressed like burglars because they were, like, practicing for some mission. <laughs> and so they were dressed like actual burglars, like, with, like, the black night suits with, like, the toques on, the black uh, robber hats. Call them robber hats. Yeah, I think the only thing they were missing were ski masks. Yeah, they needed that, and one of them needed a crowbar. <laughs> and then they made Ronnie Cox the new captain. Do you find that he had, like, really wide shoulders? Yes, The shoulder pads on his uniform were just very wide and it made him look really awkward. Maybe he has wide shoulders. I don't know what he looks like without a shirt on. (laughs) You have a point. Yeah, I don't know because I'm trying to think of, I mean, I know him from RoboCop, but he wears a suit. He also wears a suit in uh, Total Recall. Anyway, Ronnie Cox is awesome. So what I noticed in this one, yeah, because the Cardassians were the, the villains and I cannot hear that word. I think the Kardashians have ruined the word Kardashian, like the alien race, because every time you hear it, that's all you think of. And I mean, this wouldn't have been the case in the 90s when this had actually aired. So I don't know, maybe people who watched Next Gen and then heard Kardashian... Maybe they have a different view of this, but it's just very, it's very strange. You're right. Yeah. I would say, though, fuck their point of view, right? Yeah. Mine is the one that matters. <laughs> we got some Ferengis in here. You know, I hate the way they look, so mm-hmm. that was annoying. And then Beverly Crusher had to, like, seduce this one Ferengi idiot so they could stow aboard some ship. <laughs> so they're going off on some James Bond-like mission, Picard and uh, and Crusher and Worf. They're, like, rappelling down some caves and stuff. <laughs> and then at the end of episode one, it turned out that it was a trap. Mm-hmm. And this whole thing was just some fucking trap so they could get Picard, the Kardashians, or the Kardashians. <laughs> and then part two <laughs> happened. Do you say the Kardashians? Yes. Is that what you said? <laughs> Goblicon. <laughs> <laughs> So then part two happens, and then this is basically an episode about Picard getting tortured by David Warner. And then there's a scene where I was sort of confused at first because David Warner goes up to him and he, like, cuts his shirt off. I'm like, oh, shit. 
And then they cut to a wide shot and Picard was naked and he was just like hanging from this metal thing on the ceiling. So I was like, David Warner, like in one swoop, he seemed to have sort of like ripped off the whole outfit. (laughs) Unless like Picard doesn't have underwear on. Like I missed the part. It seemed like he just ripped his shirt off. But then in the wide shot, he was naked. I feel like there were other people who like helped rip his clothes off. Okay. I haven't seen this in a minute, but I think there were other people helping out. I just, I, I assumed you'd sort of see Picard, like, sort of shaking around as people, like, pulled his underwear down. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, my, so, Ry- <laughs> Riker. Oh, and then there's this part where Ronnie Cox goes into Riker's room, and then Riker's hanging out, and he has, like, a jazz trombone. Oh, yeah. Riker plays trombone. I didn't know that was a thing. That's his thing. He plays trombone. Now you know. <laughs> I wonder if I'm going to get a letter from the Star Trek fans now like, oh, to, to understand the trombone reference, like, you really got to go back and watch the show from the beginning. Like, it, it really sets up that whole trombone thing. Like, there's a great payoff in season seven when he plays it <laughs> or something. I don't know. That's the thing about yeah, when it comes to Star Trek and, like, the people who message me, it seems like Star Trek is just some sort of, like, long game <laughs> and you you literally can't have an opinion about anything you've seen because... You just cannot appreciate it because you didn't see fucking season two, episode six, when someone walked in and sneezed and like, see, and so like in season eight, when that other person sneezed, it's it's cool because like in season one, they referenced that they might get a cold one day and, <laughs> and then season eight, like he's sneezing. It's like, that's like the cold he said he was going to get, you know, and you just get, and it's like, yeah, okay, whatever, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Picard gets to leave. Yeah. Because I think they sorted out that shit with the Cardassians. Yeah. They kept up with them. There's a, look, it, it was a good one. I liked it. It yeah. was uh it was nice to see uh Picard's ass. I don't know. <laughs> That's it. That's Yeah, apparently he does uh he does play trombone. Jonathan Frakes played trombone at Penn State University. Ooh. Jonathan Frakes. In the marching band. Ooh, marching band Frakes. <laughs> well, look, Florence, this was fun. I'm sorry that I made you watch all of that, Andy. No, I enjoyed it. When I watch things, like what I will say, this will be my closing statement on this, and then we will adjourn court. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because all of the ones I made, yeah. made you watch had to do with trials. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of in trials. courts. But uh, what I found uh, watching Star Trek for the first time, uh, these next-gen episodes, was that uh, Star Trek is a really easy show to watch. And I mean, like, when I would flip on Netflix, like, uh, I mean, we're not going to do any more of these shows, but I will let the listeners know if you like Star Trek and care. I actually watched more. And, and like, occasionally when I'm on Netflix and I don't know what to watch, I will throw on a, a next-gen. They kind of go by. Like, they're entertaining to watch. I enjoy them. I think I like the moral of the story. Yeah, they hold up. And, you know, they look really good, too, because they're all, like, remastered. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're nice to look at. Like, the special effects look good. So if there's any takeaway from this is that I, I can now say that, you know, Star Trek is a thing that I watch and enjoy. If it seems like I'm being overly negative, it's just because, to me, it's a lot funnier to pick things apart than to be, like, talk about how good stuff is. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's often more fun to poke holes than fill them. Nope. That is not an expression. All right, Florence, look. Lovely to talk to you. Lovely to talk to you too, Andy. It's been it's been fun talking about Star Trek. Listen, you have a lovely day. You too. And because of lovely Patreon support, I will uh, be talking to you again in a few weeks when we do our uh, family show. All right. See ya. Bye.
right, and that was my conversation with Florence. Uh, so if you guys have had enough of Star Trek conversation, it's done. So, <laughs> and for all of you who want more, um, it's done. So that is the end of that. So how about this? Let's listen to another track, and then we will talk to Pattern Shift. So I did say earlier that I was not a cat, but that won't stop me from playing this artist, Cat Temper. Jesus, there's a fucking... <laughs> There's a segue for you. Uh, here's a track by Cat Temper from the album Purring for Vengeance, and this is Tempest. <laughs>
All right, and that was Tempest by Cat Temper from the album Purring for Vengeance. And I, uh... Hey, what's that? I think... This might be the last blood moon of the year. It's time for the donation of the beast! This is the donation of the beast. Something is happening to the Beyond Synth mainframe. I don't understand. Anyways, uh, listen, this is uh, a shout-out to all my lovely patrons who donate $6.66 a month. Satan! All right, there is Artificial, R. Valentine, Philip Back, Peninaro, Luke BTD, Love Machines from Ix, Alexandro Samaras, Zeon B, Tomasz Szymanek, Street Cleaner, Rob Dyson, Renton Brax, Till Wild, Orlando Rodriguez Naif, Straylight, Carm, Ross Pentland. All awesome and evil people who donate uh, 666. And let's wrap that up with the Polar Wildcat Studios with the 617, just because that's what I do. If you want to help support Beyond Synth, please consider uh, going to patreon.com slash beyond synth. Right now, the show is kept uh, on schedule, all due to the awesome people who support the show on Patreon. So thank you for doing that. Also, I probably should have started the show with this. Power 85 is dead. I'm not sure if it's official yet, but it died. So what that means is uh, Beyond Synth is going to be streaming on Twitch now for the live show. In fact, if you're listening to this live right now, you're probably listening to the first Twitch broadcast of Beyond Synth. So congratulations to you. So please follow uh, Beyond Synth on Twitch if you want to hear the show a few days before it goes up for download on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. All right, guys, let's go chat with Pattern Shift. All right, well, I'm here with Pattern Shift. How's it going, man? It's going pretty well. I just realized, do I even know what your name is? Uh, My name is Ben. Hi, Ben. (laughs) You having a good day? (laughs) Yeah, fairly good so far. (laughs) Ben from Colorado, is that correct? Yeah, from uh, Longmont, Colorado, right at the base of the Rocky Mountains. Ooh, that's exciting. Is it? Yeah, it's, you know, it's fairly exciting. What's the weather like at the base of the mountains? You know, not as snowy or cold as being in the mountains. Hmm. So what I'll say is everywhere I've lived before, everybody's had some saying like, oh, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes or whatever, right? And where I am, I'm right on the edge of the mountains and the Great Plains on the other side. And that is extremely true of Longmont, Colorado, that the weather can vary pretty rapidly over the course of a day or a couple days to the extent that all the other places I've heard it before. I'm like, no. (laughs) Here, you know, you'll have a snow day and then, you know, the next morning it'll be like 70 at 10. You guys in your Fahrenheit. Right, right. Yeah, the next morning, what, what, like 22, 24? I don't know. Good question. You know, I I should probably know this. Everybody I talk to is always talking in Fahrenheit to me and I just give this blank stare to the microphone like an idiot because I don't, uh, I used to have a conversion thing on my iPhone. I used to be in, used to work in archaeology and I worked on projects in Europe and the Mediterranean some. I know if you tell me like a temperature, you know, in Celsius, I know if it's hot or 
cold or I can I know roughly what temperature it is but in terms of accurately converting somehow that doesn't quite work I kind of have to guess how it feels and then go back okay and is that what 70 feels like I don't know it's like I, you know I remember like being out like oh yeah it was like 39 or 40 and that was ridiculously hot but I guess that's around 100 ish I don't know what do you mean archaeology you're an archaeologist no I all right <laughs> trying to explain like my day job trajectory is a little crazy but the easiest way to do it is you know when I was a kid I had all this different Lego stuff and every year or so I'd be like you know screw castle Lego it's back to space Hmm. and the next year I'd be like screw space Lego it's back to castle and I kind of went through that ping pong trajectory all the way through my life up through undergrad and grad school and my my first jobs and archaeology was like the castle bucket and then I was interested in satellite imaging machine learning stuff that was the space bucket and I figured out kind of how to do them together but you know there's no money in it at all so I decided to just do normal machine learning and satellite imaging stuff and then had an okay career out of that. Wait, what does that mean? (laughs) The machine learning side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So machine learning can be a whole lot of things. It can be like building components in artificial intelligence systems, or it can be just really fancy predictive statistical modeling. It's kind of like a huge range of what people will say is machine learning. I'm just trying to figure out how this translates to you getting money from work. So like you work (laughs) for a company? Are you like some freelance like computer guy? Like, yeah, I'm I'm a software developer. It's I work for a consulting freelancing company, but that's I I do shift like between projects and whatnot. Right. So for some reason, I don't know why my brain is not wrapping around this. So you're a software developer. Now I am. Now you are. As of like today, the day that we're recording this? Day we're recording it. My day job is in software development. That's correct. Are you going to have a different job by the time this thing airs? I don't think so. I hope not. I I think I've finally settled back where I was supposed to be. So is it fun? I enjoy it. I do um, build different distributed system stuff. And like I said, also do kind of some of the machine learning data science stuff side as well. So it's, you know, interesting puzzle solving type work. What exactly are you delegated? Like, so like you work for a company and... And they say, today, Ben, you're going to do this thing. Like, what is the thing that you do? <laughs> like, you work on a project? Yeah, exactly. So I work on projects for uh, different customers right now. I'm working for um, the nonprofit that does, like, uh, medical cancer research stuff. What I'm doing is taking a whole bunch of unstructured data that scientists generate in the course of doing their work and come up with a data pipeline workflow where that can all be put in sort of a normal structure somewhere. Data pipeline workflow. <laughs> For anybody who's like listening like on the music side, what that means is I've got this input channel from like some cancer scientist and I've got to like route it to the drum bus and put some effects on it so when it comes out the other end it sounds good instead of horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically the same principle. I've got to get everything flowing in a certain way so it ends up in some central repository so everybody else likes what's there so they can use it. Basically, there's all these like, you know, random workflow stuff that people do where every time someone starts out on a lot of these different projects, there's a whole lot of information that's out in the universe that they're not taking advantage of because the only way to get it is to like read 200 papers and summarize them and hope that you read the important parts when you skimmed it and all that stuff. And this is trying to consolidate a lot of the way that studies represent info so that somebody could very quickly be like, oh, I'm interested in investigating the relationship between this gene and this type of cancer. And I could say, oh, yeah, 40 other people did studies that, you know, indicated that this could be relevant for this case or 
whatnot. Okay, okay, okay. So you work for a company, but that company is going to have different clients, and then you're going to use your skills. So this month it's medical health, and then there might be another project that comes in that's like, now we're working for the planning department of this city that wants to organize all the data about sewage management or something. Would that happen? Yeah, exactly. That's a first job out of college for me was... <laughs> it's an environmental quality company that had to handle septic systems. So, <laughs> is that actually true? That is actually true. Yeah. Hey, look at that! That, my friends, is an example I pulled out of my ass. Now, look, we're talking about the day job stuff, but obviously you're a musician as well. So, we're going to start listening to some tracks, and then we'll uh, we'll keep talking. Although I am sort of interested in all this statistical analysis stuff. So, here's a cool track. This was from uh, you had a little EP called um, Four. I always want to say Evocations. Is it Evocations? Evocations? You know, like most other people i only learned about that word by reading dungeons and dragons source material yeah. and <laughs> i've completely lost perspective on what i made up versus what other people say like evocation evocation is maybe some like regional difference in it i don't i don't remember anymore either i'd say evocation evocation <laughs> it's right. my title that's what i say when i say to people all but. right well then uh, yeah this was a this was a track from this ep for evocations and this track is called euphoric effects by pattern shift
And that was Pattern Shift with the track Euphoric Effects. And that's a cool track. I like that one. It's got kind of like a video game-y kind of vibe. Kind of reminded me of Final Fantasy style. Like when it's got that little sort of... I'm, I'm terrible with musical terminology. You know, like this sort of like this plingy kind of thing in the background. This sort of... The fuck's the word I'm looking for? Look, it's, it's a good song, right? Like, <laughs> like, like the bell sounds? Yes, or... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of like synthesized metallic bell shimmer effect. That was that was a fun one to put together. So how does your musical life sort of coincide with this uh, statistical data workflows? Music was what I thought I was going to do from, I don't know, when I was like maybe 15 to... 20 or so before I realized the way to do music was not to go through an academic music program and I juggled my major around some more and did other stuff. I played in bands more kind of, you know, like typical, like for me growing up, you know, in the 90s being in high school in the late 90s it was like grunge type stuff and some like you know indie rock okay computer by radiohead came out and that kind of stuff and i played in a lot of bands back and forth some guitars some keys uh most of what i actually had a background in at the time was drums but i always had i wanted to like write music and that didn't work super well from the drums so that's why i started moving around and playing other instruments and yeah i don't know i mean i started out like on that music route but a lot of stuff didn't work out with different bands you know personal issues between members disagreements about what the band should sound like that sort of thing drama yeah lots of lots of drama right that's (laughs) i'm probably not I, I don't think too different from maybe other people in the uh, synthwave world either the people making it or the listenership and then i had a whole lot of drama in high school mostly around gaming groups and bands <laughs> right <laughs> It turns out either music or role-playing games are a good way to figure out like who has a problem with who else at the moment and how what weird passive-aggressive ways they'll find to show it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were in the full-on like uh, D&D stuff? Yeah, I was big tabletop gamer, and I still do old bogey versions of that kind of stuff now and then too so how does that work i mean like as you get older like do you still have like friends where you get together and do this or do you like find people i do have friends where i get together and do this sort of thing and the way it works is you have to come up with some convincing reason why every time you play you've only got like three people of the five or six that could possibly be there because everybody's doing adult shit so you don't find like ringers or like people to i guess you can't really have like a D ringer can you <laughs> Yeah. Substitutes? Because I've never really played tabletop role-playing games, so, like, I don't know, like, if someone doesn't show up, do you have to, like, come up with a storyline for their character as to why they're not there? Yeah, so that's usually the thing you have to do, or, like, you know, you have to have some agreement that some other player can sort of come up with actions for them, or the DM will impersonate them or something. We came up with the ultimate, like, everybody's a busy old person strategy, which was... They get trapped in another dimension? Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's perfect. That's, there's like, yeah, you're really, you're really good at this, like, random guessing thing today. Uh, you know, like, this Horn of Heroes artifact is modified so that there's some random character who's not any of the players who happens to pick it up, and they, like, blow on the horn, and all the player characters pop out, all the ones that happen to be there, and find out what the hell they're actually supposed to do based on what this person says. So when they're not there, some random character shows up with a horn and blows them into another dimension? Yeah, well, you know, they're trapped in an afterlife or something like that, right? And the character is in the middle of some plot thing. And there is, like, continuity. Like, you know, the DM's moving everybody from one plot setting to the next. I think what I would do is some sort of, like, stasis cube... But I guess it's fantasy, right? Would that is that too science fictiony? <laughs> a time crystal that where it traps the person, 
and so they're in like a perpetual state like they're frozen in, in the crystal so like stuff can happen around them but then like when they get away so they're not really in another dimension they're sort of like Han Solo and Carbonite for like a game then they break out of it right right that was a pretty good strategy that George Lucas DM guy came up with <laughs> <laughs> Carbonite yeah you know it's it's all basically the same right like whether it's the fantasy or sci-fi setting like science is just like magic by other means that's the thing it's a, it's about the language right that's used you know when I have a problem it's when they don't use the right language even though like a lot of the concepts are the same so like in fantasy you would like steal someone's soul but like in science fiction it's like they drained his life energy but it's like the same thing is happening on screen like there's a guy pointing his hand and there's like a laser beam shooting out of it and it's definitely true I mean there is definitely places where I th- think there's right or wrong answers right like a periodic recurring argument my group of friends growing up was you know whether or not star wars was sci-fi or fantasy right that's like the one where it sort of like straddles the line like for me because i'm a big doctor who fan so a classic doctor who was pretty much straightforward science fiction but then in the new show they would have characters talking about prophecies and stuff Mm, yeah and i remember it really annoyed me i'm like what do you don't use this language in this program like this is a science fiction program like yeah you need a computer model to predict it based on the state of the atoms in the universe right now that's science fiction all of those ideas you can still do you just got to use the right damn words and like when a show is like a time travel program and there's someone talking about prophecies it's like but this is a time travel show like we can just (laughs) flip forward and see like why would there be like some weird like mystical lady giving you prophecies like this of the one like anyway sorry that, that's just yeah. a thing but so that bugged me because it was like this is a science fiction program and here they are using like fairy tale language and you can still accomplish those same things because there's a science fiction equivalent to just use that instead yeah so the thing for me with star wars was like the reason i always argued with people about it because i thought there was like no like there's no possible way you could think it's actually just science fiction it's very clearly fantasy Mm -hmm. i mean people say it's science fiction because it's in space and there are spaceships or whatever right but i've never seen a movie that has such a clear moment that tells you no this is fantasy literally like star wars the first movie right there's the moment of the crux all right luke are you going to use your targeting computer? No, I'm going to turn it off and use magic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. You're very clearly in fantasy at that point. And then that's why the whole thing with the prequels and the midichlorians like felt out of place because it was like, are you trying to science up the magic here? And it felt wrong yeah. because it was like they're trying to science it up and it was like, ah, I don't know about this, man. Like it was cooler when it was kind of magic, which is fine. Like I like all of these things. It's just, you know, if you're watching like Lord of the Rings and all of a sudden the fucking ship lands and the laser shoots out of it, you'd be like, well, this is wrong. Like it just, it just doesn't, <laughs> you know, listen, I want to listen to another song. This is one I dug from uh, this same EP. It's called Data Hostage and uh, we're going to listen to it because it's cool by pattern shift
And that was Pattern Shift with the track Data Hostage. And uh, that's a cool song. I'm here with Pattern Shift right now. I like that one. It's got a nice mood. Data Hostage, I was very much trying to capture sort of this, I don't know, a little bit of nostalgic sorrow or something with a bit of feeling of everything keeps moving forward. Do you have nostalgic sorrow? I do. Don't we all do, right? That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why we're all trying to reinvent what the '80s could have been. Mm-hmm. So, what's the, what's some of the stuff that sort of inspires the uh, the tunes? I guess a, a big range of things. So, I guess one thing I care about is like my path to starting to listen to synthwave and getting into the sort of modern uh, synthwave music. For a long time, I had this like evolving playlist of stuff that was just this mix of a few like movie soundtrack items a lot of random video game music, post-rock bands, instrumental indie rockish sounds type stuff. Mm. And then some electronic music that's not synthwave, but it was like starting to point me towards that direction, like uh, M83 and Tycho and that kind of stuff. Right. While I had this kind of soundtrack growing, everybody at... Sorry, this is tangential. I do like... Uh, different grappling stuff on the side so brazilian jiu-jitsu and judo and everybody at the brazilian jiu-jitsu place i was going to was like you got to go see this drive movie (laughs) and one of them had like the scorpion jacket too and everything right they were into it you know and i you know i saw the movie and i liked the movie right like it's very much in this you know i like a lot of the tarantino stuff and like some of it reminded me a lot of like old boy when i saw it Mm -hmm. and i was like all right this is a pretty cool movie and you know soundtrack was pretty cool and i put several of the same songs everybody else did into the playlist <laughs> which were some of my only like non-instrumental tracks on there at the time and you know i didn't think much of it uh and then i was working another programming job around here in boulder and there were like two or three people and they were all just you know basically constantly streaming the new retrowave youtube channel and i was like all right this is like hitting the right stuff in my brain right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> when i listen to it and you know the way i i view music a lot is pretty informed by some of the machine learning stuff ai stuff that i've done and that music kind of hits a weird part of the human brain you're like normal rational logic processing brain that like decodes words music like bypasses it and it's like this direct emotional encoding and decoding that happens hopefully you've heard enough of the same sounds as somebody else or it's you have trouble communicating over music so i was thinking about that a lot and the other thing that was starting to happen around that time when i started listening to sort of full cycling through a lot of the uh, synthwave stuff is my oldest son uh, Oliver is autistic you know he had been diagnosed fairly recently at this point I you know like a lot of parents reading all the material I can find on it and one of the things that came up was that even though there might be differences in a lot of logical processing and whatnot in kids and you know adults too that are autistic the ability to encode and decode stuff with music is usually not impacted so music is still a good communication avenue and largely because of how repetitive music is as a signal. Like if you think versus language, like if you miss two words, you might miss the whole point of a sentence. But you can miss a few seconds of a song and you get majority of the song still can come through. Right. When that came up, I had, you know, for several years, I hadn't done much other than like, you know, every now and then I would play around on the guitar or piano and like what I was doing and even just record like a video on the stream or like put a little WAV file or something and, and stash it away and that would be that. So that was when I started thinking, you know, I really need to get back and do music stuff more again if it's some way I might have where I can you know relate or communicate or do things either with my son or other people that are autistic as that whole thing evolves so that 
you know, I was listening to Synthwave and I was like, I've got to start making music again. So the two things were like right there. How old's your son? He's five now. So how, how does it manifest itself in him? For the musical stuff. So he's always been super into different music and like with a lot of um, kids that are autistic, he's verbal, but he's kind of, you know, he talks about particular things that he's into and not a lot of other sort of normal conversation. This is maybe a good example. At night, we'll always let the kids pick like three songs before they go to sleep. And like one night, like the the songs were like, he wanted to hear Alone by Heart and he wanted to hear a Grizzly Bear song. And then he wanted to hear um, High Enough to Carry You Over by Churches. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's has been super into it. Like the last few months, one thing we've started noticing is when he sings one of those songs, uh, not only is it like just a perfect rendition, like tonally or whatever, but we've been checking and he's actually right on pitch. So he might have perfect pitch. It's perfect pitch is fairly common in autism. And that's because one of the aspects of autism can be uh, sensory integration issues. And so the sense of hearing can develop independently in the same way you might see with somebody who's blind. Right. You know, with blind kids, like people who are blind from birth or from early on in childhood, they have perfect pitch at a rate about one in 10 or so instead of at the normal population rate, which is like one in a thousand or 10,000 or something like that. So, you know, there's some signs there but I you know I don't know what all he's gonna do musically or, or not at this point this was more me trying to be like all right I need to be prepared <laughs> right yeah 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 I want to talk more about this but I want to uh, listen to a song first so uh, we're gonna move forward here to the pattern shift EP uh, this was this track I dug this is the physical option by pattern shift
And that was Pattern Shift with the track The Physical Option. I'm here with Pattern Shift right now. Ben, this interesting, like w- with your son, I know there's no set rule when it comes to autism and how it, you know, manifests itself. And I've seen different examples. My wife works at like a daycare school kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll see kids who are like nonverbal for a really long time. And that's like one of the signs of one aspect of, of autism. Yeah. So he was kind of late to speak so he definitely had some language delay mm. aspect and it's a lot uh, a lot of what happens you know in some cases in autism at least is that there's a lot of focus on repetitions and phrasings and like they're not necessarily as interested in it's like what is all the language content of this sentence but I want to hear you say that sentence again in that same way mm. it's like normal language is almost more like music instead of the same type of communicative medium right the thing that's being communicated is the communicative signal that's in there is more on the like musical structure of what you're saying and Oliver is super like that. Like he wants people to like say certain phrases over and over again, or he'll say them over and over again or whatnot. Like the same way you might just want to listen to your favorite song a bunch. That's interesting. So how do you find then with the use of music, does it calm him down? Like, does he get like into it, like zone into the music? It is like a sort of calming or zoning or like kind of a, a sensory anchor thing. A thing that happens a lot in autistic cases is that people have what's an experience that's called sheer perception sometimes. What that means means is that most of the way you view the world is like really highly compressed like a lot of people don't realize it but like you think you have this like super rich like visual thing happening all the time but you can only actually resolve at high resolution maybe like your thumb at arm's length right and your eyes like stitch this big image together all the time with these eye movements called saccades and that is where you basically take all of that and the way it works is it's like in information terms or whatever is the the signal that you're processing is super highly processed or is super highly compressed so you're creating this rich thing from a really small representation in your brain at least it's not small but it's small compared to actually what the experience is like it's also that our brains are also filling in a lot of blanks yeah exactly that's exactly what they do right so that's that's how the compression works you only have a little bit of novel signal and then you're filling in the rest of the information with what your brain is producing predicting should happen based on everything that you've seen before. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that mechanism is uh, somewhat disrupted uh, in autistic cases. So things become less manageable because you're kind of overwhelmed with sensory input that's not cleanly handled. So when that happens, like things that are repetitive that can be fixed on become sort of a method of uh, release or comfort. There's like a long history of people trying to use therapies to make people with autism stop doing that stuff but actually that can also be extremely functional and that functional thing is being able to center pay attention calm down etc is all based on being able to have this kind of repetitive signal that you can fixate or cohere in music plays a role like that for him like listening to songs over and over getting phrases over and over again that's definitely helpful for him to calm down and stuff it's definitely not like i don't have like oh i made this song and it had this like outcome when oliver listened to it or whatever like there are definitely songs i've done that he's heard that he likes that he'll like like seeing parts of the you know melody or whatever for Mm -hmm. which is cool but there's nothing like super specific going on with all that at the moment it was more like the spark of inspiration or whatever for me to be like i want this household to be like a musical household again and to be me to be doing some music stuff and writing music and finding opportunities to collaborate with some people around here and that kind of thing i wonder if it's sort of like not to diminish like a serious thing but like remember that scene in man of steel not that that was like a great film or anything but there's like a part where superman's young and he's in school and all of a sudden he starts to freak out because he 
can see everyone's skeletons <laughs> because like that's when the uh, x-ray vision kicks in right and so he becomes really overwhelmed because like everywhere he looks he just sees people's skeletons and then the hearing starts to happen so then he hears like there's too much noise and too much sort of visual input and so he just like puts his hands over his ears and like closes his eyes because there's like so much coming in at the same time right yeah no there's definitely the sheer perception thing would probably be a little bit like that no, i mean not that your son has x-ray vision but i mean <laughs> <laughs> How do you find now that your son's five, if he's sort of like late to to pick up language, like does he speak properly or is there still sort of like a process to... There's a process. I mean, he needs some like prompting or reminder sometimes to say kind of hi and bye stuff normally. Mm. He frequently also flips pronouns like he'll you know he'll refer to himself as you that stuff is super complicated and like development that we can figure these things out Mm. um but like every you know it's the what you would think of right every time anybody talks to him they call him you so you must be his name right so he i mean he sometimes says i too now because he's gotten more like phrases and stuff but it's more like i said like the musical aspect like phrases and sentences are almost more song-like a lot too and so you know he'll repeat certain things a lot more than a kid who's not autistic who would more typically be like oh i want something so i'm gonna figure out how to say what i want all over for you like when i want a thing this is like the song or the sentence that i use you know right i feel like i would be very stressed out if i were in your position yeah i mean there's definitely like some stress too but i don't like oliver's like he's a great kid too like he's super fun to be around for stuff because he gets into all these like things that he wants to do and like yeah they're quirky they're not normal but they're kind of like eye-opening or world-opening experiences as well like one thing he's really into at the moment for whatever reason is like light fixtures and he also really <laughs> likes looking at the photo stream on our like different like apple devices right and seeing all these photos and so he got the idea like i need to go out and take selfies with all my favorite lights so anytime we're like out somewhere and he sees like a cool light fixture he wants to see somebody's phone so he can take a selfie with it and so we've got this like chain of selfies all over, like, in front of lights <laughs> And I'm like, this is like some possibly viral Instagram or Twitter feed thing. This like, (laughs) this little cute, like five-year-old with all these lights behind him everywhere. (laughs) That's awesome. And it's also the fact that he's making all these like really, it's like the face is either one of like pure delight because he's so happy to see the light on the phone Mm -hmm. or it's this very like study detailed face. Like, you know, he's got like his tongue out a little or he's got like this, like I'm trying to operate the phone kind of look on his face. (laughs) We've just now started working with someone to do like music lesson stuff, kind of let him explore different instruments and then maybe start learning some piano or whatnot. And I'm interested to see what happens because he's definitely, despite, you know, like the repetitive stuff, he's also very creative. He comes up with weird things like different games that he wants to do with people. The games are usually like, okay, arrange everybody this way and then act out this whatever thing. Act out makes it sound more elaborate. But like one thing he was super into is, you know, with this family friend, uh, Kayla Vars, he calls Aunt Kayla. He really wants Aunt Kayla to run down a hill. We've got like in our neighborhood area, we've got this big drainage ditch section or whatever, but it's like a hill. So he like wants to go to the top of the hill, make Kayla go to the bottom of the hill, have her say like three phrases and then charge down happily at her. (laughs) (laughs) And so he, these are all things that he just like invents. Mm. (laughs) Well, maybe he could be like a, uh, some sort of, um, what do you call it? You're, you're a director, but you make a little short, like sort of art films, like installations, right? you know, because that sounds like he's creating a scene. And if you stitch, you know, I, I would fucking give him a camera because that would be amazing. Like a video camera. And he, he comes up with all these random scenarios, films them and then stitch them together as a film. Right. Like just this bizarre sort of like abstract sort of movie. And I think that'd be amazing. No, we're definitely, I mean, that's what we're looking at doing with stuff, with the music with the other things is making sure we've got a good output of, you know, artistic creativity or whatnot stuff for him to do. 
you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Versus, you know, versus like kind of the classical autism therapy approach, which is, you know, based around curing or getting people to behave normally most of the time or that kind of thing. We're, we're sort of trying to find the balance between like, we obviously want him to learn the types of skills that will help him function better in society, but he's got a very unique perspective and way of being that I think we want to help him be able to communicate to other people too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, let's listen to some more music, man. Cool. Do you think something from the new album? Or well, let's let's listen to another one from Pattern Shift. Why don't you pick one from this album? From the Pattern Shift EP? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played the physical option. Now you get to choose one. All right. Uh, we could do Walking the Manifold. Walking the Manifold. All right. Let's listen to this, man. This is Walking the Manifold by Pattern Shift.
And that was Pattern Shift with the track Walking the Manifold. That's a cool track. What was I going to say? I had, I had some friends. He has a friend of mine who I went to film school with, and his girlfriend, I think, was a psychologist or working at a psychologist degree, but they developed an app for autistic kids. It was like a game with some autistic uh, kids. Like, they have difficulty reading people's facial expressions, right. like understanding what they mean. Like, when you see someone frowning, like, that means that they're angry kind of thing. And so they developed, like, an app that was, I think, that was based around that concept. Like, lots of pictures of people and like I think like video of people's faces doing things mm-hmm. and it's sort of like a game for kids to sort of uh, with practice and repetition to actually like understand facial uh, nuances and stuff and what they mean and I guess what you were talking about before is that sort of to get autistic kids to sort of behave more normally like sometimes part of it is kind of like an act mm-hmm. you know if you if you behave this way that will give the appearance that you are whatever happy even if that's not the way you feel like expressing it right put a grin on because that's what people do when they're happy and you, you know you practice that even if maybe you would demonstrate your happiness in another way right if that makes sense yeah no that's definitely it makes sense and it's true to a large degree for a lot of people's experiences with stuff was like you know this idea that what therapies were targeting is making you appear happy or like you're communicating or you're into stuff with like really internally that's not what's going on yeah. <laughs> which is i mean that's all it's all super tricky too right because like positive thinking type stuff doesn't usually work but things like smiling and shit like it can actually make you feel a little happier mm-hmm. for at least for a neurotypical person when you start thinking like through the like existential meaning behind that it's like wait if smiling can make me happy that means my brain doesn't know whether i'm happy or not it's guessing based on what the rest of me is doing. Wait, what? <laughs> well, also, too, it's funny, because when you say so neurotypical, are these things hardwired to all human beings? The idea like, oh, if you smile, or is it part of the socialization that in our culture, we understand that smiling means this, and therefore, if I smile, even if I'm not happy, my brain will eventually make me feel as though I am happy. And is that because the smile equals happy, or because we understand that a smile means happy because the culture we're in yeah it's a super complicated mess i mean a lot of stuff like smiling and waving and stuff like they're not necessarily universal but the bias to do things that way is fairly universal so there's some you know biological component to like this is the biological basis for behavior but the things about humans is even if you have a biological tendency to do something the society you're in can recondition it to work differently or mean something different so when i say like neurotypical it's kind of conflated a little bit of you know how a normally developing human would be socialized given what our society is like right, right. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody who's neurotic in the normal ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me about Brazilian jiu-jitsu, man. <laughs> I'm more into judo again these days, but I've gone back and forth between the two. They're actually pretty closely related, like the original... Um, I just forgot the guy's name. Count something. Count Mida. Dracula. <laughs> Dracula, right there. <laughs> He's the only count that matters. Or Count Chocula. Yeah, Count Mida. Yeah, Mitsuyo Mida. Mitsuyo Mida was a judoka who's the guy who um, taught the Gracies way back when, when Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu got started. And it was because everybody was calling Judo Kano Jiu-Jitsu at the time, not just its own art of Judo. But, they're, you know, they're both like their gi grappling sports and of course like with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu there's like no gi grappling as well. Are you a big dude? Am I a big dude? No, I'm um I'm a tall beanpole. Now I have a little more meat on me than 
beanpole life. Because of the judo? <laughs> is this the judo or your diet? I have very little natural ability to gain muscle. So after about 15 years of effort, I'm about around like the 170 to 180 pound. I, I don't know, like what, what are you, kilo stone out in the... Um, <laughs> Canada land stone uh, yeah we're, we're kilograms but, but I still know what my weight in pound so 81 kilos is the around the like weight division cutoff that I've competed at in judo before Will you compete I have I don't now much and I didn't like I was never like a serious competitor like I was not like going to worlds or anything like that I was you know winning some and losing some regionally right so how was that? Is that fun? Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a very reinforcing activity. <laughs> I was never like very physically active much after I my parents let me quit all the sports I was playing at the end of elementary school when I didn't want to try out for stuff in junior yeah. high. And I got back into a lot of things in my mid-20s. First fencing and then judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu grappling and Wait, stuff. Wait, fencing? I, yeah, I did four years or so of saber fencing. <laughs> you're, well. you're an interesting guy. <laughs> I... I, I had historically had trouble making up my mind about what to do, mm. but that hasn't stopped me from just doing things. So I've kind of done a lot of random shit. So do you have like a fencing sword and a mask or do you just like use the ones at the place? So I had all that stuff. I don't have it anymore because I didn't keep doing saber fencing. Wait, what is saber fencing? So there are like three different main weapons in modern sport fencing. There's like foil, which is basically like a little antenna. Well, that's the one I know. Foil is interesting because it has a lot of elaborate rules. Fencing has all these rules about right of way and right of way means if two fencers hit each other at the same time, who gets the point? And in the weapon epée, which is more like a... People think epée is more like a rapier, but it's more like a French small sword, which is like historical late 18th century, whatever, dueling sword. But anyways, epée doesn't have rules of right away. So if you both hit each other, you both get a point for it. In saber and foil, there are rules for like based on whose arm went out first or who had the started the attack first or who moved first in a certain way that you get points because the other person shouldn't have just hit you back. They should have defended themselves first or some idea like that. How do they know? I think about 20% of the time, they don't really know and the refs just make it up. And the other 80% of the time, they can you can see kind of who starts the motion first. Do they like film it and watch it in slow motion? Sometimes that happens at the Olympics now for determining who got the point. But it's like everybody tries to hack the like ref signals by even if you started the attack second, you still like do a big like, yes, like I got that to try to maybe make the ref think that you really got it. Oh, okay. So that's part of why I quit doing fencing. Saber is one you can slash with, right? You can't just, you don't just have to poke people with the end of it. You can also just whack them with it, with a side of it. Okay. Which is the style of sword stuff that I liked more. You have all the right-of-way rules, and they're kind of the messiest in Saber because there's less actions which involve controlling the other person's sword to take back the initiative and do something because it's a lot of, like, super fast faking. Like, oh, I'm gonna go here, no, I'm here, and, you know, it's a lot easier to kind of hit the jacket with the, like, electric sensors on it or whatnot versus trying to actually just get the tip depressed with a certain amount of pressure, which is what you have to do with uh, foil or with Epe. Wait, there's electric sensors? Yeah, there's a whole elaborate, like, electric <laughs> sensor setup for it. I don't remember like the thing, but there's like a certain number of grams of pressure that have to be applied on the tip of a foil or epee when you actually jab it at somebody. Based on whether or not you did did it with enough force, you'll get the point or not. Right. It has to complete a circuit, at least with foil. They have like a, you know, a metal laced 
vest thing on that will complete the circuit and conduct the electricity all the way through so you get the point. Well, that's uh, interesting, man. I, I never knew all this stuff about <laughs> fencing. That's cool. Listen, do you want to listen to a song from the new one? Yeah, I think it's probably the perfect time to listen to Low Gravity Judo. All right, man. Well, here is uh, here's a new one from Pattern Shift, man. This is uh, Low Gravity Judo.
And that was Pattern Shift with the track Low Gravity Judo. And I'm here with Pattern Shift right now, talking about judo and fencing. I guess we got started on that whole thing with asking about uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and judo and stuff. And yeah, the main thing is there's, with the grappling arts, there's a whole lot of technical depth to them. It's kind of like at least for me you had a very different perspective on what was involved in like wrestling kind of stuff growing up it just seemed like kind of a brute force like thing to me but it's pretty elaborate like all the subtle body positioning and things that are required to make certain moves work or not work if you get it slightly wrong so it's fair to say that you are a very sort of technical minded guy does it seem like all of these things that you sort of do you end up sort of breaking them down to like the the underlying structure and math of it yeah it's true i like i really like to geek out on stuff so it helps for anything i do that there's a component to that so i get that with judo benju just jujitsu i got that some with um i also climb some as well though i'm pretty bad at it still when you're like fencing is it like a movie where as you're about to swing like things slow down and you see a bunch of like mathematical equations floating in the air like in your vision <laughs> no the, the thing about it is you to actually be effective with this shit the technical part of you has to work during training so that you condition the right responses based on some degree of technical knowledge and then when you're actually you know in a match or in a competitive situation or whatever it just has it has to be automatic to work you're almost in the state where like you do something and you're like oh man i just did that right <laughs> you're not like actively driving you're more like surfing through stuff at that point you do any surfing uh i don't i don't do any <laughs> surfing <laughs> so i'm just using surfing in the metaphorical way people think of there's like a surfer listening to this. He's like, that's not what surfing's like. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in Colorado. Maybe you could uh, do um, snowboarding, man. That's like the surfing of the land. I haven't done those yet. I'm more of a, like I do hiking and some rock climbing. I'm more of a nice weather mountain guy. It's a cool thing to be. <laughs> <laughs> So what's going on, man? What does what the future hold for Pattern Shift? So you just put out this album uh, a few months ago. What's going on? Are you planning new stuff? Yeah. So what I'm planning to do from here is to workshop a few more tracks and see. I think a lot of the stuff I've done is a little different in tone than a lot of other synthwave that's out there. I've been more on that atmospheric soundtrack side. There's not quite as much maybe um, drive or other things people might be looking for. So I'm trying to workshop a few tracks and see what some of the different YouTube channels might be into. It's kind of like I go back and forth. But you want to make what you want to make, right? I mean, like, I think your stuff, I don't know what the word I would use to categorize it. It's a bit chilled out vibe and definitely more sort of like atmospheric and cinematic in that way. Like, But then that's fine, right? Because, I mean, if that's what comes out of you, you shouldn't have to bend to the will of <laughs> you know other people. Just, there's, a, there's many people doing the synthwave sound, yeah. like in quotes. Like, trust me, there's a lot of that stuff going on. It's true. And so I guess the thing is, I, I'm not really worried about accidentally being a copycat because I'm pretty opinionated. And when I start going those directions, that's not really where I end up. I end up somewhere else instead. And so it turns out to be a pretty fun exercise for me to do, to be like, oh, I'm going to do something more like this kind of thing. And where I end up is not there. When I've gone that way, I don't think I've ended up with anything that sounds like any of the inspirational 
material that I've tried to think of, like, well, maybe I should try being a little more this way. It's tricky because like when you're doing this sort of thing, you're both discovering things about yourself, but also like inventing things about yourself at the same time. So I don't know that I would say it's, oh yeah, I'm making the exact kind of thing I want to make. It's like, this is the kind of thing I want to make right now. If I tried this out or this out or this out, maybe I'd like doing something more in that place too. The most important thing is you got to be yourself. You're a judo, jujitsu, mountain climbing, sword fighting, technical analysis, data metric. Sorry. I forgot the last part. Yeah, no, that's that. Data analysis metric, I'll take it. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a tricky thing, right? I want to be myself, but I also want to evolve what that means. You sound like the kind of guy that wakes up early in the morning. Is that correct? Not by choice. I wake up in the morning early now because I'm kids. I'm the kind of person who like stays up too late because they can't get themselves to stop doing Mm. shit and just move on to the next day. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I have difficulty work. I used to think I was like a night owl and I don't think I am anymore. I just don't really work effectively at nighttime. I have very specific hours you know with kids and my son's in school everything interferes with the time i need my best working hours are like 10 a.m to like 5 Mm p.m and like i gotta stop at like three there's lots of things i gotta do in the morning like i think also too i am a procrastinator and so part of that could be the mental thing of that i tell myself that which gives me the excuse to then when i don't do any work that day it's like hey man i had to go do the mail at two and i had to go grocery shopping and that totally interfered with the perfect miracle time I have to work and then you know there are some days where I have that time and then I just end up wasting all of it on the internet instead of doing work (laughs) right yeah well you know the the internet has evolved as a like really good denial of service attack on human attention i know man i fucking i I know we we are all wrestling with this yeah how does this thing ever exist that it can be the most awesome and the shittiest thing at the same time and like the internet is just that it's like literally like the the embodiment of the fucking yin yang symbol it's like on one moment it's like this is so cool like every time i got a question it just answers it i get to like meet all these cool people making music i like you can be part of all these weird niche scenes and like there's so much cool stuff about it and then there's just the other part where it's just like hey it's pretty cool but it also steals your soul (laughs) and it's so shitty like because i'm powerless against it yeah it's tricky because there is basically like an arms race to control your attention because everybody's trying to monetize you looking at their thing Mm -hmm. there's like a scenario that's laid out i think it's like a nick boster book or something like things that people are afraid of that ai might do like skynet is probably not that plausible. I mean, if you had a nefarious defense actor, which is possible, something gets out of control that's supposed to be a weapon, could maybe happen. Sure. But the bigger danger for like the machine learning and AI stuff is it's super good at optimizing anything you put at it. And the like joke scenario, or it's not really necessarily a joke scenario, is like the paperclip maximizer, right? You have a, something that wants to turn everything into paperclips, then it gets unloosed, unleashed in the world. And it's like, oh, there are metal. there's metal in human bodies. I can make a paperclip out of that. <laughs> We've basically got that going on in the internet but it's like the attention maximizer right i can take everything else that like you know oh, you're trying to spend some like time with your kids look at your phone here's a notification oh this notification was a fake notification because it's an ad you're just being conditioned by everything that's the one upsetting thing is when you find out you want to think that you are a very unique individual i think that's sort of part of being and then you realize oh man every time i've ever clicked on a youtube thumbnail because of like some hey it's bloopers because there's a picture of a chick's boobs and it's like <laughs> I'm literally man number 17 million who fell for this fucking thumbnail. And I know going into it, like, 
you are an idiot for clicking this. And the top comment is always someone making a joke about, like, who's here for the thumbnail? And, like, someone will say, like, you know, they'll post a time code that tells you where the boobs are. <laughs> what bothers me is just, like, am I literally that much of just an animal that, like, I can be so easily tricked by this, like, fucking flashing lights and colors? Like, that's me? <laughs> no matter how, like, unique I want to say that I am as a person, it's like the second you flash a stupid thumbnail of, like, oh, like, yoga pants or whatever, and all of a sudden I'm yeah. clicking on I'm like, what am I doing? It's like my hand <laughs> is doing a thing, and I'm just like, I know I'm going to waste time. I know it's going to frustrate my life because I should be working, and all I ever talk about is how stressed and busy I am, and yet I can always make time for some stupid fucking clickbait article about she didn't know why the crowd was looking at her, and she's kind of like bent over funny, and it's just like, oh, did her pants fall off? Click, and then I end up on some fucking clickbait article I got to click through 40 pages of, and then they never even get to that one picture, and I know they're not going to get to it. <laughs> Just dangling the carrot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the way to which it's like sort of cynically blasted at you all the time. And I mean, the thing is, you have like your conscious brain system that's strapped on to this weird behavioral beast that is the other part of yourself and if you know you just had some coffee you had a good night of sleep whatever you're not gonna do that stupid shit but you get a little tired you get like moved on you're like man i'm really bored with the thing i was doing and suddenly weird things can manifest and you can be susceptible to it i mean i don't i went through a period of time before i started trying to get back into things to at least let people know i was you know making some music and whatnot but i deactivated my old twitter account i temporarily suspended like the facebook account and everything and i like went cold turkey off a lot of stuff and that lasted about a year and a half not bad it was pretty good and then you know i was like i'm making music and i'm like in a vacuum like i can tell a few people i work with i can't like tell anybody mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just where like my relationships are like i could tell like some friends that i have locally or people at like my judo and jiu-jitsu clubs and that kind of stuff but i like it's just my real human context i can't like reach out to the like however many hundreds of people i've known before from things i've done and <laughs> right yeah 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 so i you know i got i got lured back into it for that but i'm still trying to figure out what my strategy is like going forward on stuff if i just do like rotating windows of trying to block everything and hope i don't like give in to like no i'll figure out some way to reverse engineer it so but can- one thing i've learned is i can't trick myself at all so anytime i've tried to install like productivity apps or whatever you know like keep you on track or this one will you know like turn off facebook all day or whatever then i'm just like yeah but i know how to turn it off so you know what i mean like i can never i and i don't know what the solution is like i think i literally need like another human I think what I need is an office because I work from home, right? Yeah. What would be really helpful is some sort of like artist co-op or something where like a bunch of people rent the same space and then we go there like it's an office. If you're in a room with a whole bunch of other people, like even if you're all just separately working on computers, I don't think you, you just won't be as tempted by the, uh, the stupid parts of the internet because when you see other people being productive, it's like, uh, it sort of inspires you to like, oh, maybe I should get working, you know? Yeah, I had, so I had this experience about, I think it's lasted almost a year, like 10 or 11 months. I worked for a company and like in missile defense and due to the nature What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on. Let's listen to one more song from the this from the new <laughs> album all right D- what song do you want to listen to um let's listen let's mix it up let's listen to reality anchor reality anchor all right man this is reality anchor by pattern shift
And that was Pattern Shift with the track Reality Anchor. And I'm here with Pattern Shift right now, who sounds like he has an interesting story. We should also probably wind this down because we've been talking for a while, but I want to I hear this story here. Yeah, I won't go into a lot of the specifics of what I did, like, you know, missile defense-wise, but due to the nature of the work, <laughs> I was on systems that were not open access to the internet. Right. The fastest way, like I was doing stuff like on the Linux command line a lot, and the fastest way to do things was to go through man pages and get a decent like you know working editor in the terminal and that sort of thing and i i was in that like government and government contracting bureaucracy and i did not like that part but mm. there was this weird liberating aspect to like i'm gonna go in the room where i do this work and i'm not gonna be looking at the internet or anything i'm gonna be in this like terminal shell the whole time focused on what i'm doing and there's not other shit to distract me yeah that must have been nice that part of it was great when you have a family when you're living in a house with a bunch of people i can't just go all right the internet gets disconnected from, you know, noon to 8 p.m. or whatever, right? Because right. if my wife needs to check her emails, I can't deny her the internet. I've tried using things where you, you change the DNS address. There's certain, like, ones that block certain sites, and you can sort of use custom ones that block it from the router. So, like, no computer in the house can access certain things. And, like, it kind of works, but then I know how I turned it on. Yeah. And so if I really want to turn it off, I can. Because I think the biggest wasters, it's, like, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. I run blockers now where I don't see Facebook updates anymore or the Twitter um, what's trending. Mm -hmm. So on Firefox, you can you know download a whole bunch of plugins that block stuff. So when I go to Twitter, it's literally just the center column yeah. and like all the side columns are gone, um, which is huge because I was getting worked up about shit I don't actually care that passionately about. Yeah. The optimal solution to get human attention is to piss people off. Hey man, it works on me and it annoys me because I'll be I'll all of a sudden get upset about issues where I'm like what the f what do I care if this like actor doesn't play in this movie like I don't but like at the time when it's trending it's just like oh I bet there's a bunch of fucking nerds complaining about this and then I'll go and see what the people are complaining about and then pick a side and I'm like wait a second this issue has nothing to do with me and it will literally disappear in like a few hours or even cases for me a lot where it's like oh this is actually there's this is a relevant political issue that could affect my life but being mad about it on the internet isn't going to help anything <laughs> oh no 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 make you feel great you don't, you, don't, you don't like having political arguments on the internet those are the best everybody loves those I don't know what the solution is that, like I think my ultimate solution would be if I had like an actual deal with like the internet company you know or like I phone the company and just be like, look, man, just fucking kill the internet from this time to this time every day. <laughs> and I'll tell people in advance, like, just if you try and get a hold of me between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., like, I, I'll respond later, but... Even if I tell people that, you know, even if I say I'm going offline for a few days or, um, hey, man, you know, I might not respond to you right away. When I get the notification, I still look, you know, like I'm still distracted enough to. Yeah. And I'm really bad at getting back into the zone. That's like my biggest problem is like I need to be in the zone. Yeah. And when I'm there and I'm taken away from the zone, which happens a lot when you have kids and stuff, it's like I feel like I like seven minutes doesn't go by when they're home where they don't need something right. <laughs> or something needs to be resolved. I think I've worked it down to seven minutes. And every time I, you know, I'm in the middle of something and just like, oh, can I get some water? Can I get some food or whatever? Then like my brain resets. 
sets. And then the next seven minutes when I get back to my computer is just trying to find my place where I was. So this is like an actual problem I have. And so like, I I need your bunker scenario. (laughs) I would also even love a computer that literally just has one program on it. Right. Like if I'm video editing, like literally like the only thing installed on that computer is the video editor and nothing else. So not only is there no internet, but like there's just nothing else there. It's like literally just, Mm -hmm. this is the video editing computer. There's no apps. There's nothing. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I feel you there for sure. I mean, the hacks that I use are, you know, I use self-control on the Mac. That's maybe one of the ones you've mentioned. I don't know. But self-control is one of the ones that not only does it like set your like local host Etsy hosting or whatever so that it won't point to stuff, but it spins off all these like obfuscated name processes that if you go try to fix that, it'll edit it back before you can open a site. Wait, what's it? Self-control? Self-control. That that may be Mac only. I don't know if you're on a Mac or... I am on a Mac, yeah. That's why my scenario about having a computer that just has one program on it is completely illogical because this computer costs a lot of money. Right, yeah. I do not have the budget to be (laughs) buying multiple uh, fucking iMacs. I mean, I'm probably going to have to switch back to a PC at some point because, like, the cost of Macs now is, like, I'm literally counting on this computer lasting me, like, eight years, or like, it has to, in order to justify like what I spent on it. Right, yeah. I'm keeping an eye on that stuff as well. I mean, I've used other music software before I could learn a different workstation. The one I'm on now is Logic, so of course I'm... <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Though, see, I use it as well. Like, I use Logic and I use Final Cut. Most of the other products I use are Adobe. Right. And so there's, it's not too far-fetched to just go, well, maybe I'll edit the podcast in Audition. Maybe I'll do my video editing in Premiere. And then if I switch to all Adobe products, then I can make the transition to a PC and then save several thousand dollars. Right, yeah. The the inflation on the hardware has gone up a bit. I still, I mean, I... I mean, the other side I'm on is I do a lot of development stuff where it's nice to have the terminal. You can do it. It's getting better. The Windows story is there too, but it kind of depends on what return you expect on stuff, whether or not you like, would you look at the cost of the computer? Yeah, but that's distributed over X number of years. So if I lose time to learning a bunch of shit or not liking it and possibly having to go back or whatever, it's just not worth the risk. I'm still in that boat, but that might change if it continues to keep not being awesome. (laughs) I usually get IMAX. I just like that they're contained they have enough power for what i do yeah I don't, I don't do 3d animation or anything too processor heavy so the imax have you know enough power for me but yeah like the last iteration and when the canadian dollar went down basically all the apple products just became a thousand dollars more ouch and yeah. that fucking hurt because there was a time where it was like okay you know these computers are expensive i get that but it's like you know they were like maybe like 2300 canadian or something and then i would add all the bells and whistles and then it was still a lot of money granted like when i would tell people how much i spent for my computer and they were all like pc users they're just like what but but i'm like you know hey man it's got the monitor and everything's in one it's one plug but yeah but then when they went up a grand now it's like four thousand for like a new imac canadian and like that's just insane like that's fucking stupid money and that's for the regular imac not those fucking super imacs that literally start at fucking six thousand five hundred Canadian or something and that's like the base model like what <laughs> fucking get a car I mean like it's crazy to me like just how how much they charge for those things those are definitely in the tier of they're expecting it to be a business expense right off for people buying it or something <laughs> yeah no it's fucking it is bonkers Price-wise. So hopefully this computer lasts a long time. I will not install a hard drive myself like I did last time when I cracked my screen in half. Yikes. This time (laughs) this thing is being treated very delicately because that's a a bad thing when you crack your screen. Yes, sure sounds like it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Anyways, man, look, we can probably wind this down. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about? I don't think so. I think that's it. We're good, man. Well, listen, it was lovely to meet you, Ben. You seem like a fun guy. Swords and judo and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. Or or I'm not fun because I'm too busy doing all that shit. You know, one or the other. Hey, man. (laughs) I I just long for cuddling instead. (laughs) (laughs) To go back to grappling for that, I guess. That's sort of like aggressive cuddling, I suppose. (laughs) Right. Cuddling with a winner. Yeah, man. Well, look, dude, uh, listen, it was lovely to talk to you and you have a you have a great day man and keep on making cool music and we'll uh we'll listen to what you come i'm bad at ending things well i'll i'll listen to what you make (laughs) that's so kind thanks andy (laughs) (laughs) take care All right, and that was my conversation with Pattern Shift. Uh, he turned out to be a really interesting dude, so that was a that was a fun conversation. Please tune in next week for the Christmas episode of Beyond Synth. I know the past few years I've done like the fucking 800 guests of Christmas. We won't be doing that this year. This year we will be going back to our roots. So I hope you enjoy a Christmas with Lucaset because we are doing another Lucaset Christmas because uh, that's what we're going to do next week. It's not going to be quite like the previous Lucaset Christmases. To be honest with you, when we were recording, it was such nonsense that I still don't even know how this is going to form a proper episode. And we'll probably do one final What's Your Plan with Computer Magic and that will be the Christmas show and then the following week will be the New Year's special. So thank you all for listening to Beyond Synth. Tune in next time for some more cool chat, cool show, cool guys. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's right. I'm stealing other people's catchphrases from now on. Beyond Synth. Just do it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Beyond Synth. If you would like to support Beyond Synth, please visit patreon.com forward slash beyond synth. And don't forget to check out Beyond Synth on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Instagram. If you want to submit your music for the show, please email it to beyondsynth at gmail.com. Have a lovely day.